Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Suburbs of New York City, an apartment in Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling. J.J. Devaney, what's up, brother? Hello, Andrew. Uh, Spring has sprung. It's a beautiful day. It's going to get up to 60 today, I believe. You're listening to Weather Chat on Caught Offside. No, but this is big. 60. Yeah. I, uh, maybe not today, but across across the week, I think we're gonna we're gonna hit sixty at some point, which we haven't seen in a while. No, that's fantastic. Uh, that's that's the kind of news I love to hear. I'll listen to this weather chat podcast anytime with more news like that. Uh, what a podcast, a soccer podcast that we have for you coming up here today. There's a lot to get to on this one. Uh, obviously, a lot happened in the Premier League over the weekend and into Monday. We'll discuss all of that. We have I've taken out multiple worryometers. Uh, for Christian Pulisic and uh, Bale backometers for just how back Gareth Bale is. So we'll measure up on those things and see uh, where where we rate. Uh, let's see the Manchester Derby, of course. We'll get to that. Liverpool is, is in the moment right now, JJ, that I think you'll want to address or not address. I guess we'll see. Mailbag, red cards, man of the match. It's a big one. It's, it's a, a huge one today. It, it's a huge one. I, I, I just get so excited about these podcasts now. They've been absolutely massive. Um, during this pandemic, and uh, I, I I look forward to this every week, Andrew. I I can't oh, tell yeah. you how, I can't wait to get back into the studio and uh, and jostle you <laughs> and jostle me. Yeah, like Just, like you're my older brother. No, like Steve Bruce and Matt Ritchie, which we'll get to later. Oh. There was there was jostling last week. We just missed it uh, for our podcast. There was uh, there was some training ground ructions, Andrew, and I want to talk about them. But it, you are right, though, that, I mean, I, I want to say it feels, well, the pandemic, it's, I'm so, I'm so I'm over it. Ugh. I'm so over it. And have, I mean, obviously we all have been basically, I mean, we're coming up on one year, right? I essentially view this Thursday as March 11th. And for me, I kind of view that as like everything before March 11th, 2020 was normal. And everything after March 11th, 2020 was not. So I'm a one year this Thursday. Yeah, Oof. I'm about to reach my one year sick anniversary. Yeah, where I um, where I cont- well at this point now, if I'm tracking correctly, tracking and tracing in my mind, I had COVID was 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 incubating inside of me last year, which is a lovely thought for everyone. at this time. Yeah, yeah. So I had it about roughly because other people at the at the event where I believe I got it got it and got it badly, so I feel very very lucky. Right. Um. But it, yeah, it's around about a year and uh, I lost my sense of taste and smell. Some people would say I never had that sense of taste. Is it back, by the way? I haven't asked uh, you. Yeah, it's fully back, but it, okay. t- it took a while. It was the middle of the summer before everything was Jeez. was 100% back. Last, The middle of last summer. Right, right. And um, yeah, it was around this time, St. Patrick's Day last year. I stopped being able to taste things. And uh, Rudy Joubert tweeted out, uh, anybody else that got COVID can't taste or smell things? And I went, uh-oh. It's funny because he Rudy Gobert of the Jazz is like, I feel like he's treated as though he's patient zero. Yeah. Because it's kind of his positive test that just, it's funny how I can't tell if that incident in that basketball game, I view that as the delineation point of when the virus really took off. Do I just view it that way because I'm so sports centric in my yes. mind? But so you don't think that March 11th, like that is, is it just a coincidence that most people kind of view March 11th as like D-Day in, in the coronavirus's impact in the United States? And that was the night that that basketball incident occurred. I don't know. Uh, maybe I, it's all just a concoction in my own head. I, I don't know. 
I go by the time uh, the same the day before St. Patrick's Day where I was going to have a canned Guinness um, and I couldn't taste it. So it was all just so surreal thinking oh back to then what it's, people it's, were thinking, how scared people were, how long people thought they'd be working out of their house. I remember people saying, oh, you know, month, two months. And then, you know, yeah, OK. Andrew, our stuff, we've moved studios since. I know. Our stuff is in a box. We you said know where goodbye. Our stuff is, actually, yeah, I boxed it all up, um, and uh, it's been moved into the new caught offside towers, right. which I must say are not really as good as the old caught offside towers. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. But one day, just to see, just to be in there again and, and do a show with you live in person, it it will be nice. But let's get into this show right now, my friend. Yes, uh, let's and do let's that. start in Manchester with the Manchester derby over the weekend, and Ole once again getting one over Pep. Uh, and once again, like seemingly this, the Ole coaster ride continues as, you know, Manchester United have these, these down moments and then they just come back with like reckless abandon. And uh, that is the case once again, is uh, it is Ole piercing Pep's armor uh, as he has been known to do over the last couple of years. Can I begin with a meaty stat, a stat that's going to sustain you throughout this week, Andrew? Mm-hmm. Um, one, among the 67 managers Pep Guardiola has faced more than three times across all competitions as a top-flight boss, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the only one to have beaten the Spaniard, the Spaniard four, more often than he has lost to Guardiola three. So he's beat, like Guardiola in all his matchups is ahead, except against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That is that is pretty pretty it's impressive. It's amazing. It's amazing, and it's just more proof of how Ole continues to do just enough to <laughs> always keep his head above water. Yeah, like he has just enough of those kinds of statistics that make you think, okay, well, you know, let's let's keep going with this guy. But it, this one it's is incredible. But this one has significance beyond Manchester United. It it has significance for Manchester City because they've Manchester City have been receiving something of a coronation. <laughs> over the last few weeks and now entering the most important phase of the season on the domestic front and the European front, Ole is the one that has told Europe in, in a loud booming voice, this team has a glass jaw, this team you can get at them. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, maybe it sends that message or maybe it was just one bad day for Manchester city. They, they weren't going to win every game the rest of the season. Right. I mean, we started to think that maybe that was possible, but that's probably an unfair expectation. Uh, It's just, go ahead. I I, know. And I think it's worth, it's worth noting that um, the game started in a fashion United got on the front foot so early and the game started in a way that you wonder if Gabriel Jesus doesn't do what he does. Maybe. I mean, maybe this game pans out differently. There's no maybe about it. It would pan out differently for sure. Uh, Gabriel Jesus was, I mean, he tackled Anthony Martial. He shouldn't even have been in the zone, Andrew. There were four defenders between uh, Martial and the goal. He was moving across. There was was no reason for Gabriel Jesus to to embody one of the great uh, pop culture characters of our time. And uh, let's have a listen to what that moment sounded like as... Gabriel Jesus interjected in the game. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot better than we usually do. Uh, All right, comes up. Ready, guys? Let's or... do this. Leroy Jenkins! Oh, my God. He just ran in. <laughs> so, yeah, Gabriel Jesus went full Leroy Jenkins. Why did he do it? 
I've I've no idea. He's the wrong side. There's just no danger. I think, I think he, if I'm if I'm correct in the lead up to the goal, did he lose a throw in or did he? Did he, uh, was he uh, maybe, I mean, what was it? It was like 40 seconds into the game. Yeah, maybe the, he was quickly dispossessed. And, and you know, that rush of blood to the head. I got to get the ball back. I got to redeem this yeah. minor, minor error. Um, and that changed the whole complexion because, like, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in his pregame uh, comments said how he's going to counterattack because you're not going to see that much of the ball against Manchester City. And he did exactly that. But what City did... Um, or what Gabriel Jesus laid out was was perfect for United. Listen, guys, you're going to get a goal so early that it means you don't have to do the things you're not good at. And what are the things United aren't good at? They're not good at against pretty much anyone taking control of the game and going after the opposition. Like being the one that's on the front foot. So City put them on the front foot. They give them this start and United... The game plan was perfect. They execute, executed excellently. They added a second goal. Should have added a third. When they did win the ball back, Anthony Martial was brilliant up front. You know, it's not just that City were handed them this, this amazing opportunity to take the game in the direction they wanted to. United were good too. Yeah, although I will say this. You say take the, the game in the direction they wanted to. When United scored that early and... You know, now hindsight is what it is. We saw that City were just off on the day. Um, and some credit to United, of course, as well. But when City go down a goal so early, there was part of me that kind of thought, uh-oh, like, okay, this, they've been poked now in this game in a way that they haven't been in a while. And I was hmm. excited to see how they would respond as a neutral. I thought that game would open up. You know, we've had concerns about Manchester United's defending at points throughout the course of the season, and City are in this great yeah, moment but... themselves. And I kind of thought, okay, that's an early goal. City are going to be forced to play on the front foot now. This could, you know, we could be in for a fun 3 2, 4 2 kind of game. And that it, it, for Manchester City, it just, for whatever reason, never materialized. Well, I, I want to just stop you there for a second. When are we concerned about United's defending, really? We're, we're concerned about United's defending when they're you know, Lindelof or Maguire are like 25 yards from goal or Wan-Bissaka is 20 yards from goal. Not when they're, you know, sat in on the 18, compact, tight, two banks. Like the NBC uh, coverage I thought was very good at halftime where they showed Bruno Fernandes' best first half moments. And what were they? They were screening, sitting right in and screening. It wasn't, you know, great play or, or great inventiveness, although he, he did do that in the second half, I felt. It was more sit in, Screen, defend. The last place I want Harry Maguire, really, or, or, or Victor Lindelof, or whoever you, any United defender you put in there in the center, in the center back position, is, is far from the goal, is up the field. Mm -hmm. You know, so when they get to sit in, now, what do you do? You, ha you still have to defend, and they defended excellently. But more than that, for me, Andrew, they, they took their opportunities. They, got down the left, like Luke Shaw dominated down that left-hand side in a way I don't think Pep Guardiola was ready for. And he found on the second goal, the soft center of the Manchester City midfield. So you got to give credit to United for what they did. I, the best thing I can say about United was when they did get the ball back off City and they countered, they looked dangerous. And that is, that is great credit to them because, you know, this is Manchester City and you're not going to have the, the ball very much at all. And when you do have it, you have to make a count. And really... I mean, as good a game as Martial had, he should have made it three. Yeah, yes, you're absolutely right. 
Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer became the first manager in Manchester United history to win each of his first three road Manchester derbies in all competitions. Uh, the club itself has won three straight road Manchester derbies in all competitions for the first time since a streak of four between 93 and 2000. Ole. Yeah. Now that, that, that all kind of leads to this question that I wanted to ask you about this kind of weird year that it's been for Manchester United. And I know where they sit in the table. It's, it's a nice spot to be in, of course, not necessarily where Manchester United want to be, but second in the table behind a really good city side for most teams is, is ideal. And I guess the one question is with regards to United, should they be better than they are? Uh, everybody knows my feelings on this. And the answer is yes, they should be better than they are. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, Take a back seat on this one. Someone is basically on the same uh, mindset as me, on the same page as me, and I'm going to let their words speak for me because this is how I feel. I was reading Matthew Stead on Football 365, and, and this is it. Manchester United have shown they can take four points out of six games. Against, excuse me, four points, four points out of six against the best team in the land this season. But their title challenge was undone by the lack of a coherent plan to break down deeper defences despite every single fan identifying that as an issue. Like that is the issue. That, that, and it's one of the reasons Pep Guardiola will be absolutely annoyed about what happened at the weekend. Look at the run of games they came in on. You know, United weren't firing on all cylinders. No, they they dropped points to West Brom, Sheffield United, nil-nil with Palace right before this. Yeah, they had been pretty poor. Yeah, they'd been they'd been really poor. And and for me, and I think it's what Matthew's alluding to, it's not about United being able to beat a city or put in a performance that can beat a top side because we know they can do that. It's about beating the other sides. It's about being on the front foot. And when you're told to go and play, can they be inventive enough, creative enough to do that? And that's the hard part. I think, I, I think if anything, this season has shown us defending deep in a low block is the easier part of organizing a football team. Attacking is the harder part. Yeah, you know, it's funny because so much is made, JJ, of Manchester United's struggles against the other big six. Now, granted, they've had success against Manchester City, oddly enough, but against the other ones, not only do they not win, but they don't score goals. The nil-nil with Chelsea, the, the thrashing they got at home against Tottenham. Um, you know, so much is made of those because those are the glamour fixtures. But let's be honest, if they had just if they had done that, if, if all of those performances against other big six sides had remained the same, and they had just taken care of business against the teams that they should be beating, they might be right in this race with City. Maybe not in first, but at least we'd have reason to be interested. Uh, they'd be, I, I believe, and I think it was in the same piece that Matthew wrote, they'd be a point off. They'd wow. just be a point off if they'd, if they'd done their business against the, the smaller sides. Um, it, 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 I, Louis van Hal popped into my head. Remember last season... He took issue. I can't remember how it came about, but he, he took shots at Solskjaer for something that was said. And I don't know if he said, took shots, but he said, essentially, Solskjaer is a defensive manager and that he wants to play on the counterattack all the time. And I think that is, that is one of the problems as well for United because what do you do against, you know, let, look at West Brom. What do you do against a side that's not going to have the ball? You've got to be creative. And that's the big issue for me with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and it always has been, is can he do the tactical work, the patterns of play, all the things in the final third that Jurgen Klopp was able to do, that, that Thomas Tuchel is able to do, um, that all the top managers, Nagelsmann, are able to do? Is, is that within him? Can he create that Manchester United attack? Because it's not good enough to say, 
what he's been saying all along. We're going to get back to first principles. We're going to do what Sir Alex Ferguson's teams did, be a counter-attacking side that was, you know, quick down the wings, quick through the center. I mean, that is true, but Alex Ferguson's teams also dominated the ball, passed the ball, and were able to create in a number of different ways. And, um, and that's the challenge for Solskjaer. Now, otherwise, Andrew, we will be looking at, because he's not going anywhere, Next season will be exactly the same as this season if he can't figure that part of the game out. Well, we'll see. I mean, look, from last season to this season, they are, they are 12 points ahead of where they were a year ago at this time, which is something. Uh, and remember, they were top of the table in January, <laughs> it's, which is it's amazing that we're just kind of roughly two months on from that and they're out of the title race. Yeah. So it, it happened quickly. And like we said, it happened because they weren't able to perform against some lower sides in the table. Um, and, you know, last bit for me on, on Manchester United, they do have good names in attack, mm-hmm. no, but you are right in that it doesn't seem that they're able to get the most out of them. Now, like I, I personally, I still don't know, is that all Solskjaer? Is that some of just like these guys not performing up to the level that they should be? Uh, Mark Ogden points out Martial, Rashford, Mason Greenwood, and the injured Edinson Cavani have just 36 goals between them this season. Uh, he, he goes on to say, if Erling Holland, Harry Kane, or Robert Lewandowski was in the squad, many of those draws and defeats could have been turned into victories, yeah, which I, is I, true. I, I, see that, I see that point. I take that point. But look at United's second goal, Andrew. It's a piece of individualism. First on Henderson's part to play a, a good throwout, which allows Luke Shaw to step into the ball and suddenly get in behind United's defense or uh, City's defense. That's... That's not that's not like some intricate pattern of play where, you know, someone drops deep, gets on the ball and sets things in motion. That was a brilliant piece of individualism from Luke Shaw. And so what I guess what United really need is a more coherent attacking plan. And I'll keep saying that Uh, last bit on this. It's not really game related, but it was just the most to know JJ is to know what you were going to get in this poll. I saw you put up a poll before the game about the uh, the greatest Manchester bands of all time. Yes. And you had New Order, The Smiths, The Stone Roses, and Happy Mondays. Yeah. Um, I was a little puzzled. I thought, doesn't feel like we're seeing, it feels like one is missing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then I looked at some of the comments. Jay Wolf commented on Twitter, wow, not even putting Oasis on the list. I know. Uh, at Natron1981 said, uh, wrote on asked if you were trying to start a fight with Noel Gallagher. I mean, it it was, and then like, after I saw those comments, I was like, yeah, this is, this is JJ. If, if they're even, if there's a hint of mainstream quality, he's going to disregard them. No, that's, that's what we have here. This this is too mainstream and famous. This is the guy who in the before times went to see both Gallagher brothers individually on their solo tours in New York. So you can't say that. What I'm saying is all those bands that came before, Oasis, like you, you talk about Noel Gallagher's influences, you know, Noel Gallagher's main guitar influence was Johnny Marr of the Smiths. So all these bands came before Oasis and there but is no does, But does that mean that they're, does that mean that they're greater than Oasis? Like, well, you I can I, only, if you're not if first, you're you can never me, pass them. If you're asking me, which is a better band, Morrissey and the Smiths or Oasis, then, I mean, then we, we should know. First of all, I'm not necessarily saying they had to win the poll. I was surprised that they couldn't even make the list. That's yeah. all. Okay. You know what? Maybe there was other bands that missed out. James missed out. You know, you could put James in there. James have probably had more commercial success in the United States than Oasis had. I mean, James, you go to a bar, you, you're as likely to hear a song by James. What, as you are by what is, I'm, a, I'm opening myself up here. I'm going to be vulnerable. 
What is a song by James? I'm not familiar. This room is on fire. With oh, okay. Passion I do know that song. And you'll hear that in every single bar in America, across America. So, you know, there we go. It's maybe, maybe I was being a bit unfair. You're a hipster. You. It's okay. It's who you are. And it's why I love you. I'm a hipster because I like the Smiths. Unbelievable. <laughs> Pretty Unbelievable. much. All right. Let's move on now. And uh, let's get sad hipster on the line. So Liverpool, JJ, just, uh, I don't know. You talk about beating a dead horse. This is now just like an ongoing theme. This is not just kind of like, it doesn't feel like some little bad patch that they're going to snap out of. I just keep wondering how has this deteriorated so quickly? Rarely, if ever, have we seen title challenges or title teams from a year ago perform this way in their following season it's this is this is bizarre well andrew liverpool are, are breaking all records absolutely breaking all records but in the wrong way uh, i read this this morning on espn fc it's the first time liverpool have lost six home matches in a premier league season okay not good but never mind that <laughs> it's the first time they've succumbed to six home defeats in any campaign since 1953-54 oh when they were relegated after finishing rock bottom of the old first division. Andrew, I am no longer staring into the abyss hmm. right now. Um, things have changed. There's an abyss update. I have entered the abyss. I've bought a house in the abyss. I'm getting my post forwarded to the abyss. That's dark. Thanks to Peep Show for that one. Um, I mean, the home form has crumbled since... Big fat Sam rolled into town on December 27th. Uh, Liverpool's six consecutive defeats have come in the space of 46 days, starting with a 2-1 loss against Burnley. But really, the dip in home form started with, with that 1-1 draw um, with West Bromwich Albion. Um, and then you see some of the names on the list, Brighton and Fulham and no disrespect, but Everton. Um, previ they'd previously gone four years and 68 home league matches unbeaten before the surprise result against the Clarets saw the rot set in in what was once an impenetrable fortress. It's, um, it's unbelievable. This team just looks... I don't know when we'll win again is a better question. You name any team right now and I'd fancy we lose to them. We've I mean, only scored one... What have we scored? One goal in 2017 or in 2017, in 2021 mm. at Anfield. It's hard to fathom. Uh, and I think it's the strangest part of this because, you know, we, we, like, we always talk about injuries and whether or not they're an excuse or a reason, you know, like Virgil van Dijk, uh, all the injuries that they've had to that, that single position is huge. And had it dented their hopes of repeating as champions this season, I think we would have understood that. Um, especially with Manchester City being in the form that they're in. But I do think at a certain point, injuries are now becoming an excuse if you're going to lean on them for Liverpool looking this bad. I think we could, I think Liverpool could have, under normal circumstances, I guess, withstood those injuries and still been a top four team. This is something different. This is either fatigue for players who have had just a, a frenetic pace over the past few seasons under Klopp. This is bad form for players like Trent Alexander-Arnold. Is it, mm. you know, are you seeing anything, you know, Mo Salah today, there's stories about maybe PSG being interested in him this summer. He spoke earlier in the season about 
um, potentially showing interest in tr- in moving on and going well, someplace agent, else. His agent, when when he was hooked against Chelsea last Thursday, his agent tweeted just a full stop, mm-hmm. which was, and I mean, I thought it was strange that he was when you're chasing the game that Jurgen Klopp took him off, but okay, yeah. So um, has his head been turned? It just feels like to be the to be in the state that they're in right now, it's got to be more than just the injuries. Look, the injuries are a reason for a drop off, but not a total collapse. And especially against some of the lesser sides in the league. And you can talk about injuries, fatigue. I think the toll of three to four years of just pure relentlessness under Jurgen Klopp. Um, they're all factors. But yeah, I actually think, Andrew, like you have to talk about where we are right now. Okay. Where we are this moment. And um, things have a momentum of their own. Injuries have been the catalyst. Um, and the moment that brought us to this point. But now there's something new at play. Like this team looks dif- dysfunctional. The mm-hmm. system isn't working. And the question now is whether Jurgen Klopp has solutions, as he says himself. Well, he made and, seven changes to the lineup. But it made no difference. We saw the same patterns of play. The same things were happening. The ball going out wide, crosses going to no one, slow build-up play. I mean, it's just just the wheels have come off. They, they, and if you look at some of the players, they look they look not just like physically fatigued, but they just look mentally exhausted. Mm-hmm. It's, and, you know, Klopp said last week after Chelsea, there's no comparison between the Dortmund 14-15 collapse and Liverpool's current situation. Now, I, I've pushed against that, but are we at a point now where this is the end of a Jurgen Klopp cycle? And if you look at Mainz, if you look at Dortmund and and those examples that this is a manager that hasn't been able to find his way out of this, or is it because, because right now it feels as if Liverpool are just, let's get to the summer. Let's get to the summer. Let's get a break. Um, the manager is, um, I won't say resigned, but you know, he just, he doesn't seem like he has any answers at the moment. Yeah. I would be, I mean, and I'm sure there's some of that, the idea of let's just get to the summer. Part of me feels like that might be papering over cracks, though, and looking past some some real problems that could be forming with this group of players. Well, I know. I, I, I think I think it's only a few weeks ago that I did the Jamie Carragher list of, of, of minutes played since the 17-18 Champions League final. You can't tell me that's not a factor. That's got to be a factor. But how do you address it now? How do you address it in a football club that has ownership that you know from Boston and I know from Liverpool don't like spending, you know, well, certain players will have to go. They'll have to, they'll have to send money out to be willing to spend. So how do you do that in a pandemic where, where there is no, there's very, there's reduced. Well, you yourself have said that PSG are pandemic proof. What's P so if they want to come in and spend a boatload for Mo Salah, Maybe it's time. It'll suck to see him go. Liverpool fans love him. He's been a part of so much success. He's an all-time great for them. But maybe it's time. He's talked about leaving. If they're going to spend, then maybe it's for the best. But it's not even just there. I mean, you, you uh, Origi, Shakiri, Milner off the top of my head. Um, possibly one of the centre-backs. Um, Wijnaldum. I mean, this, is, uh, this would be an accelerated rebuild a point at which we didn't think we were at with the team but maybe we are at now the uh the seven changes the Klopp made to mm. the side you know you looked at the lineup and uh it was just 
was almost unrecognizable from what we've known their consistent starting 11 to be. Is that a nod in your mind to going all in on the champions league? Um, I, I think it might be part of it, but I think it was more freshen it up minutes, give guys in, you know, you had Nabi Keita coming back in. I mean, Keita needs minutes. He needs to play. Um, I think it was more to do with trying to find a solution to this. I mean, Diego Jota coming in. Shakiri was in for a while, um, most notably at West Ham away. Then he was out again for a little bit. Now he's back in. I think this is more a manager trying to find a way to kickstart a team rather than, well, we must save X or Y for the Champions League. I'm sure that's part of it too. Have you, um, I, I forget which game it was after when you, was it Southampton? And you just kind of went for a walk. Yeah. You sort of just kind of, you, you were down. You try, is that, is that what you're doing now? Like every weekend, it's just kind so of these games of, end and you just go for like a walkabout through Brooklyn. Yeah. So much walking. And you know, my dad's a huge Liverpool fan. So I call him before the games, the games happen. They feel like, they feel like that nine inch nail song. Every day is, is, is the same, is exactly the same. Every game is exactly the same. Um, and I don't call my dad after the games now because I have nothing to say. What can we say? We've, we're just seeing this over and over again. It's, it's a great time for people who've hated the last three years of this podcast because Liverpool have been successful. It's a, it's a great day for them. It really is. Mm. Um, lots of walking, Andrew. Uh, walking, walking can help. Well, I get my, my 10,000 steps in very easily. <laughs> that's important. Uh, um, bit, of, bit of breaking news from this morning, Klopp related. Uh, this is Ronan Murphy, who is goals. Um, German football expert uh, Klopp on replacing uh, Yogi Lull, who is on his way. He an- it's been announced that he's going to be leaving Germany after the Euros. Yeah, so of course the rumor mill went into overdrive, and that uh, Klopp justifiably, would... I would say. Um, so Yogi said, uh, "No, I will not be available as a potential coach of the German national team in the summer." Or uh, no, Yogi didn't say this. Klopp said this. Jürgen, excuse me. I will not be available as a potential coach of the German national team in the summer or after the summer. I have three years left at Liverpool. It is a simple situation. You sign a contract and you try to stick to that. He couldn't help but not inc- but include the word try there. Yeah. Try is try might be carrying a lot of weight right there. Andrew. <laughs> um, we know how contracts work. Yes, and also north of the border, something is stirring. A new king has been given his crown. It is, look, I mean, we're we'll saying get, all this. We'll get to that. We're saying all this like with a smile and tug in cheek, but like all of these things are happening in the exact like timing that it would need to align to make it all occur. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Like Liverpool struggling under Klopp, Yogi Love announcing that he's going to step away from Germany while Steven Gerrard has just won a title with Rangers. It's all happened simultaneously. Like it, it has. These are facts. Why are you if, fighting it? I don't know if they're good facts. I don't know. I don't like just... I think do- you're worried that... You're, you're worried about what just happened with Frank at Chelsea, and you feel like it's going to be it's going to happen with Gerrard at Liverpool. No, I'm worried about a Rangers manager coming into Liverpool, an ex-Liverpool player, and destroying a system that's already been put in place, a la Graham Souness in 1992, when I first started supporting this club. I've seen this story before, my friend. I don't like how it ends, 
Anyway, we shouldn't. We're way ahead of ourselves here. Way right. ahead of ourselves. All right. Uh, let's see. We continue now, JJ. So I had mentioned at the top of the show that I have two meters that sort of kind of gauge our temperature of where things are at. The first one is my uh, Pulisic worryometer. Oh, okay. How worried we are with young Christian. Um, I would say a nine. I'm. Right um, I already registered concern on 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 our Twitter yesterday. As is my wont. And uh, I didn't have a, what what'd you say? You have a worry amateur. Mm -hmm. I have a concern counter <laughs> and the concern counter is opposite to the worry amateur. So it's, it's a decreasing scale. Oh. So zero is full panic. A one is very close to that. And I am at one right now, Andrew, can I read you a quote from Thomas Tuchel? Of course. Um, Nizar Kinsella tweeted this out, uh, the Chelsea journalist. Tuchel on Pulisic. It is a bit unfair, but I know what an impact he can he can have in the last 20 to 30 minutes from the bench. He was unlucky in the last game. It is not a lack of quality or trust. We have another guy like him in Emerson who does not play but trains at the highest level. Now, he, he I, then also did mention Tammy Abraham too as another yeah. one in that group. Oh, I, I don't think that's a group you want to be in. I mean, what was it? Six months ago, he's being handed the number ten jersey, and now Look, he's now he's being viewed as he's a what Tuchel views as a super sub, essentially. I'd, I'd forgotten up until maybe a few months ago that Emerson was still at Chelsea. You know, I, this is, I'm not saying that they don't play the same position or whatever, but is Pulisic now the guy who trains hard, great part of the squad, might give him a few minutes at the end to impact a, the team? This is not this is not where you want to be. This is no. not where he was during this last summer. No, he's he's in a place now where it feels like it's going to take, unfortunately, someone else getting hurt for him to get another chance. And that's that's risky. It may not happen. It, it might mean that he doesn't get another chance. And here's the real problem that I think American fans have to cope with is that, you know, we, we focus so much on the Pulisic angle of Chelsea, but like for Thomas Tuchel, that's not really that it's not about that. Like his no. job isn't to, to appease the American fan base. It's to win. And they're doing that. So there's no, there's no real reason. Yeah. But why does he hate our nation? Well, uh, it's, it's a podcast for another day. Uh, <laughs> but like, I mean, so I looked it up. They're averaging 2.33 points per game under Tuchel compared to 1.53 under Lampard. They're unbeaten in 11 games since Tuchel took over. Like, we can criticize and say this isn't right. Pulisic's a great player. He should be playing. But like to a certain extent, the proof is in the pudding. Maybe all those things are true. Pulisic, it, this doesn't change the fact of, of what we think of him as a player. But as long as Chelsea continue to win, and now Kai Havertz is finally awoken, uh, then like he's not going to get another chance unless, like I said, one of these other guys gets hurt. Look at, uh, look at the stock of, of the teacher's pet. <laughs> Mason Mount, just blossoming. And uh, continuing to to put in some really good performances and 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 his usual high energy work rate for Thomas Tuchel. So Mason Mount, uh, well for me, I mean Mount was never out of the picture with with, with old Frankie, um, because they'd established such a bond, a bond of brothers at Derby County. But now Pulisic has been kind of left in in the shadows and and. It is bad news that Havertz is beginning to hit a little bit of form, and yeah, the concern yeah. the the con the concern counter is at one. 
and the worryometer is at nine. And you know, the funny thing too, you know, we all kind of misread the Tuchel Pulisic dynamic from their time at Borussia Dortmund because Tuchel, he says uh, in another quote, maybe Christian's problem is I know from Dortmund how strong he is from the bench. I think he started only in the cup game. And in the end, that's my responsibility and my fault. So like he kind of has this, like, you know how we all have relatives. Like I have a cousin who he's out of college now. Like he's a grown up and and is engaged. Like he's a full adult, but he's a cousin that I don't see very often. And like, I saw him a lot when we were little kids and I was living back in Philadelphia. So in my head, he's nine. Right, right. He's not like whenever my mom says, oh, your cousin, I, I heard from his mom today. He's doing good. Like I picture a nine year old boy. He's 28. <laughs> like, I feel like that's where Tuchel and Pulisic are. Like Tuchel still has this image of Christian Pulisic as like a 16 year old. And he can't he can't shake that. Yeah. Um, and also the the worrisome quote that I read um, last week about how he loved how he was injury free as a youngster when you're absolutely supposed to be injury free. <laughs> Um, and now you can imagine that, like we said, he's a man in a rush. Like he could achieve a lot in a short time at Chelsea. If you think about it right now, they are roaring up the Premier League. Um, they are in a very strong position and put themselves in a strong position in the Champions League. And uh, Tuchel has no time for the concerns of some greener right. podcast hosts on the East Coast of the United States or indeed, or indeed for Christian Pulisic. Right now, this is all about winning and winning quickly. Yeah. Um, our challenge next week is is going to have to be, I think, to talk about Chelsea without mentioning his name, Pulisic. That is. I've got other Americans I'm going to mention uh, later on in this oh, segment. Good. So. Um, we go from that meter to my Bale's backometer, uh, which also is at a nine. JJ, uh, six goals in his last six games, but it's not just that he's finding the back net; he's setting up chances. Like you saw the, the chance he created early against Crystal Palace, where he dribbled through two defenders, played in a perfect ball to Sun. Sun should have scored. Let's be honest—a free header from about four yards out, but it was right at the keeper. I mean, Bale—he's—I don't know if it's temporary. I don't. I'm just going to ride this wave because he's—he is back. The only reason I can't go full ten is because I kind of want to just see him do it against. Yeah. I, I guess what I deem to be elevated competition. Correct. And I guess. You know, depending on who you ask, I would say this Sunday in the North London Derby, you'll get that chance. I, I'm assuming he's going to play. How could he not right now? Uh, so, yeah. yeah, he's he's back, baby. And, and also taking a lot of the credit for him being back, baby, is oh, his manager. Is his manager who has talked about how waiting and getting him physically right was the correct thing to do. Um, yeah, By the I'm way, not- may- like you won't even concede the possibility that that is actually true. Oh, no, I can. But I, w- I would put it down even... I would put down the the form of Bale and the form of Tottenham in general to, you know, removing the handbrake that was on this team. Look at that front four, Bale, Lucas, Son and Kane. I mean, with with uh, Hoiberg behind it, with Reggae on on the, on the left hand side, even Matt Doherty is playing well. Yeah. You know, well, he so- played. He was there. You didn't think he was that good? He was fine. I don't know. He was like, if I listed my top five standout performers, I don't think I would have included him, but whatever. That's besides the point. I, I did want to mention Kane because so much. Well, hang on, hang on. Before right. you mention Kane, you need to acknowledge that Matt Doherty gets an assist for the Kane. <laughs> <laughs> You're sick. Um, I, I wanted to mention Kane because so much of the attention is on bail right now, because yeah. I think people are just like, so taken by his, his resurgence, but like, 
Kane now 55 goal contributions to him for him in his 51 games under Mourinho. And like, I don't know if I, if I say this enough uh, about Kane, because like the Tottenham old heads will have their take and like the cutting edge JJ hipsters who have to be different. They'll have their take for me. It's simple. This, this is the best player that I have seen play for this team in my life. I don't know that he's the best ever. I mean, obviously, like you get the Jimmy Greaves contingent. Maybe there are people who will say Glenn Hoddle. I'm right. just saying that me personally, from what I have seen, like I don't care about like some of these other guys Paul that come going. Well, no, quite frankly, no. Like this, this is for me. I'm watching it now, and, and this is this is the guy. And I don't really care what anyone else says and, and who comes and goes. This this is the guy that I will talk about when I am an old head, and I'm boring the youths with the, the days that I was watching Spurs. So this, I want to suggest the, the goal that he scored uh, his first Tottenham's third. Was it? I mean, mm. <laughs> he he's, he's doing things out there that other guys who are also of great quality won't try. And he does them to perfection. He's we are Tottenham fans are lucky to have been watching this guy over these last several years. But by the way, if your objective in the future is to bore people, I think you've made a good start on it with that little little moment i mean right yeah andrew he's um he's brilliant and uh i I keep because of the summer ahead of us and and the european championship whatever whatever form that's going to take you look at england you look at england's attack and him spearheading it and the players that are around the english midfield and the english attack you know your Jaden sancho's um even your mason mounts just you look at the team in general uh England are in good shape. I was going to say, what are you, what are you driving at here? It, wor- it worries me. It worries me. Here we Constantly. go. It's the, it's the media enthusiasm building behind England once again. It's coming home. <laughs> For a while, it, it looked like the tournament was coming home. Boris Johnson last week said, we, we, we welcome it. We're ready to go. We're going to have the, if you need extra games in England, please come to England. Come. And, and we're also going to make a bid for the World Cup too. Really, just they're they're in their feelings right now. They really are. They're having. A are, 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 yeah, they are having a moment right now. Uh, a very big cultural moment. Um, um, did you watch Meghan Markle and? I sure did. Yeah. Well, kind of. I had the NBA All Star Game on my iPad and my <laughs> headphone in on that, but the TV was on the interview, so I was kind of like I, I paid just enough attention to know exactly what was going on. I thought Oprah was excellent. Oh yeah, she's great. Oprah, Do you think when on. we we eventually? Uh, you know, you know, sever ties with ESPN or they get rid of us. We'll sit down with Oprah, me and you holding hands, talking to Oprah about how the institution mistreated us. <laughs> the institution has treated us just fine. All right. Um, let's see. One thing outside of England that I wanted to mention, and that is Spain, because it looks like we now have a title race after all. And tomorrow is going to be a big one because Atletico Madrid, who have kind of been leaning on these games at hand. Like they had like four games at hand. It felt like earlier in the season yeah. that finally will get wiped away tomorrow when they play Bill Bow. Oh. Um, so this is, the, this is it, Andrew. This, I'm not saying this is the league, but this is the biggest game of the season right now for, for Atleti. Uh, Bill Bow have two wins in five. So, I mean, they're not a bad side, but no, they're in the Copa del Rey final against right. Barcelona. So, uh, 
This is so big. It's it's enormous, and especially with with Barcelona getting a little bit of wind under their sails. More than a, I'd say more than a little. Mm. I mean, Messi, like it's it's they, other than obviously the the I'm, I can't call what happened in the Champions League a blip on the radar. Barcelona, I think you know they pride themselves on what they do in Europe, so that's more than a blip. That was that was truly damaging to how the season will be judged. But in terms of the league, uh, it's. Like I almost have to wonder who do you who is the favorite to win this league now? I, I wish I had like the actual betting well, odds in front of me. Well, I can tell you right now that uh well let's go to 538, the number bods. Um so right now they have Barcelona with an SPI of 91.2 points. Um to win La Liga, they are 45%. Atleti are in second with 41%. So so Barcelona is now viewed by many as the favorite. That's amazing. Marginally so. But still, for where they were. I mean, yes. this was a runaway for Atletico Madrid not so uh, long ago. Here's what I feel about it. If, if Atleti don't win tomorrow, Barcelona will go on and win this thing. That's how I feel. And, I mean, we shouldn't overlook the fact that Real Madrid are now back in it after getting a draw over the weekend against Atletico Madrid in a game where they, they thought they should have won on a controversial handball that was called and then overturned. Um, I think if you were assessing the form of the three sides, though, Andrew, and out of the no, assess the form of Barcelona versus Real Madrid. From what I would, seen, for me right now, Barcelona are in yes, top form of the three. I think so. And now they've elected a new president in Joan Laporta, who uh, was the former president. Now he's back, and it you know it, he'll have an interesting reign ahead of him because Barcelona he he enters a time where obviously they have enormous debt which we've spoken about, and they have to figure out a way to clear that up. And they have this Lionel Messi situation where Laporta was basically running on a on a platform of a vote for me is a vote for Messi. Um, and so like now he's won and he'll have to, I guess, fulfill that promise. So does he have to like in a time when Barcelona have all the debt that they have, does he have to still open up the checkbook and give Messi whatever he wants to remain to fulfill that promise? Or if Messi is to leave, can he say, look, we tried, uh, we were willing to give him whatever he wanted, but he's decided to try something different. I, there's nothing I can do about that. It's what he wants. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the way Messi is playing right now, I mean, I I, I, I could see why they'd want him back and why Laporta kind of chose that as, as a platform to run on. Uh, Graham Hunter lays out the financial problems for Laporta that he's facing. Laporta is now the man charged with steering Barcelona away from their calamitous $1.3 billion dollar global debt paying or delaying the short-term debts of some 750 million euros 890 million dollars and doing it while simultaneously renewing the expensive contracts of Dembele um, and also buying a clutch of four or five top talents including his dream ticket of Erling Braut Haaland and also both convincing and paying Messi to stay um, I mean at a certain point how can you do all these things? Yeah, well, what Graham says, and everyone should read the piece because he goes into some great detail. He says that Laporta, impossible isn't the word in his his vocabulary and um, that he cares deeply about the club and that he's going to go basically into kind of a financial uh, refinancing situation as regards the debt. And he's probably, Graham said he'd be shocked if he hasn't begun that process already. By the way, um, in that in that piece, uh, Graham also lays out some amazing stories that kind of paint the picture of the guy that Laporta is. I mean, did, uh, did, did you read through those? I didn't get to the, those yet. I'm in the middle of it. 
he tells a story. I guess Laporta was was serving his time in the military for in, in Spain, and near the near, I guess near the end of his time, like his mandatory time serving, he went AWOL oh. to take a, a woman, I think, to Egypt. But I guess he was so beloved by other members of his uh, in in the military that when like when they have to line up in the mornings and everybody would have to say if they were present, other guys would just shout present in different voices for when Laporta's name was mentioned. So when he came back from his, his trip AWOL, he was expecting to be reprimanded in all this trouble and they didn't even know he was gone. So he just slid back in. That's uh... And other stories about that that show what an interesting guy uh, he is. It's, it's, you should check it out at ESPN FC. And he was the guy that promoted Pep Guardiola. So he has an aura amongst the Barcelona socios about kind of having a feel for what the club needs. Well, just his initial tenure from 03 to 2010 is sort of like that was Barcelona's rise back to prominence on, yes. on a global stage with, you know, Ronaldinho and like you said, Messi and Pep Guardiola emerging. So I think it ended in an ugly fashion for him. But here he is back again. Yeah, back again, indeed. Yeah. Um, can I just say a couple of things before we go to the break? Yeah, yeah. Well, we got a mailbag next. Well, we do indeed, yes. Yeah. Can I just uh, talk about... Uh, so I sat down, I watched Bayern and Dortmund. No, um, no, 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 Oh, save that. Okay. I actually watched Leipzig and Freiburg. And not to alarm myself, but I did alarm myself. Leipzig were moving the ball. It was very snappy. It was one touch. The third goal by... Emil Forsberg was brilliant. And now I am deeply, deeply concerned about Liverpool's game uh, this week against, against Leipzig in the Champions League. I feel that tie isn't over and Liverpool are away, but technically at home. So away goals count in Budapest again for this game. So they've gone back to Budapest for this one. Um, also, two notes from uh, US players. Josh Sargent's header for Werder yeah. Bremen. What a great... What an excellent goal that was and uh, a more difficult header than it actually looked, although it was a pinpoint cross. And Daryl DK. JJ, he's, we're talking about guys who are having moments right now. He's having one. Oof. Absolute belter for Barnsley to continue their, uh, their really good form in the championship. Um, I tweeted out when I saw the goal, uh, I tweeted at the Barnsley account, belter from DK in tit roof of tit net, because that's the way they speak in Yorkshire. and. Of course, Barnsley liked the tweet. There you go. There's that positive affirmation that you need. I need that all the time that I am on top of my culture. Titnet, Andrew Titgundling. No, I saw also, I think Tyler Boyd scored over the weekend. Okay. Uh, So a lot of Americans playing well. Suddenly that striker position, Andrew, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Not worried. You wonder if it might just be the kind of thing where... Like, okay, like England right now, we talk about Harry Kane. They kind of just generally know when Euros roll around, Kane will be our striker when it's a World Cup. It'll be Kane. like, maybe we're just going to be one of those countries where it'll just be dependent on form. Like, we can't necessarily say a blanket statement of who our striker is. It's just like, whoever's in that good form at any given moment will just ride that hot hand. And we we'll just poten- kind of have to live like that. And we've potentially, potentially, because he hasn't declared for us, so I, I won't speak too much about it, but we've potentially the top scorer in Switzerland too for young boys burn. <laughs> now we need, that, that particular player needs to uh, declare for us now, please. But um, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I don't think we're going to be stuck, is what I'm saying. Good stuff. I'm going to remember you said that because right. there will inevitably be another moment where we say, God, I wish we just had a competent striker. No one can do it. <laughs> I'm going to remember that you said that. All right, here we go. Uh, mailbag, JJ. 
Uh, the mailbag, Andrew, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. That's the snail mail. Caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram and uh, at SeoSoccerBot on Twitter. Um, first one is just after Baggio got a mention uh, last week in last week's podcast, our listeners alerted us to this trailer that is dropping for Baggio, The Divine Ponytail. What a May name. May 26th on Netflix. A dramatization of his life, it appears to be from the trailer. And... The in-game, how shall I put this? The in-game footage, the recreated in-game footage looks really good. It looks really good. Like digitally remastered? No, uh, well, I, I don't know yet because the trailer, but but the shots We're of talking him, like, like they shall not grow old type stuff? Oh, I, I mean, that would be, that would be <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited about this. I have one quibble. Uh, it appears from the trailer that the Nets... Uh, representing the the goal nets from USA 94, which were the most uh, pillowy and um, what's the word, bellowy goal nets. They were enormous. The ball never, once the ball went in, it stayed in. You'll remember, um, was it? uh, It's like the nets mirrored the style of clothing in the United States in that time. Just very baggy and loose. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I often notice when you buy a shirt over here, it, they're much they're much less fitted than they are in in Europe. They're much more um, like a parachute, really. And the Nets mirrored that style in '94. Yeah. The Nets aren't like this for the uh, Baggio documentary, which is oh. uh, I look forward to it for many reasons, but also I really hope they show Italy's first game loss in that World Cup to the Republic of Ireland, where Baggio spent most of his time inside the pocket of Paul McGrath. But that's wow. May twenty May twenty sixth on Netflix. Uh, Netflix, Netflix coming through again, man. The Pele doc, the Anelka doc before that. Now I, I, mean, I mean, they're giving caught offside so much content to talk about. Yeah. Um, Tobias, can we talk about Newcastle? Mm. Are we heading for relegation number three under Mike Ashley? Yeah. Um, so I've looked at this from a mathematic standpoint. Oh, of I do know. Have. I do know that is how fans like to consume their soccer. In, well, I was going to go from a form. I was going to go for a tabloid standpoint, but I'll let you go with your mats first. Okay. So I'm basically looking at it as this. So they're one point up on Fulham, a game at hand. Uh, Newcastle are tied with Brighton right now, but ahead on goal difference. So they got 27 points. So are we still operating under the assumption that 40 is the magic number? Uh, that's kind of like that's kind of, it's, the it's golden the, rule. Use that. Just use it. for. So here's I, who they play. Villa, Brighton, Spurs, Burnley, West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, Man City, Sheffield United, and Fulham. Ending the season, by the way, against Fulham. How big might that be? So in looking at that, I would say they need somewhere in the neighborhood of five to seven points from the next four matches. Because after those four, the gauntlet hits. Like, listen to those again after the after the four. West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, and Man City in that Oof. order. So they're going to need to have a little bit of money in the bank going into that stretch. So then that leads into the final two games of the year. So if they get five points from these next four, that gets them to 32. Then let's say maybe they can get three total from that gauntlet of five games that gets them to 35 and then two wins to end the season against Sheffield United and Fulham would get them across the line to 41. So it's, and that's by the way, me saying five points from the next four, I'm probably underestimating what they would hope to get, but I figured I would go on the low end. So even if that happens, you know, it, it's, it still feels possible, but just the fact that they've been dragged into this, uh, it's, this is, I, I mean, the, Tobias is right. Can they really go down a third time under this ownership? 
yes is the answer. And let's just go on a more simplistic basis. Fulham are playing way better than them. Just they're, yeah. they're playing better. Like, I just fancy Fulham to do more. Although Fulham should have had more from their last three games than just the three points against Liverpool, I would, I would contend. Um, certainly, they should have picked up three points against Crystal Palace. Um, at least, Andrew, things behind the scenes are good at Newcastle, except that they're not. Uh, last week, like uh, we kind of missed out on this a little bit with our recording times, but uh, Craig Hope, who covers the club for the Daily Mail, uh, ran this exclusive. Matt Ritchie called Steve Bruce a coward during training ground showdown as NUFC boss barges into player who tells Bruce, you've done F all for me. <laughs> Ritchie and others furious with Bruce's blame for the Wolves goal. Uh, that, of course, where they surrendered the 1-0 lead at home to Wolves last week. And uh, then another uh, back page headline uh, from the Daily Mail last week. It's treason. And they're not talking about Meghan Markle. For, this is amazing for the Daily Mail. Uh, Bruce hunts Toon Mole as he admits our bust-up story. That's by uh, Craig Hope. So basically, Steve Bruce said, admitted that the story about Richie was true, but said that the bad part of it is was that there's a mole in the camp. Not that this bust-up happened, this argument, but that it was treason. His words, Steve Bruce's words, it was treason to um, let this leak out. So, um, yeah, not good. So death by hanging to whom, whomever they find, the guilty party. <laughs> yeah. Treason. Yeah. By the way, you can, I, I tried to find a, you know, what exact date that was from last week. Uh, I think it was March 5th. Um, and uh, it's amazing if you Google Daily Mail and treason, how many different articles come up. They are, they're, they're big on treason. Just remember before the season started, like think of where Newcastle, we had, we had, we did it in the club with Newcastle, didn't we? About yeah. their, the proposed takeover, you know, everything's about to change. They're going to become the next man city. Pochettino is getting ready to come in as manager. Like it was all written and, and done. It felt like, and now they may be going down for yet another time. Incredible. Um, Cameron with a, with a great email. Uh, hey guys, I got into the pod back in high school when I first found my love for soccer and I've listened all the way through college and now at my desk at work. Hope that doesn't make you feel too old. It kind of does. That's a lot of life changes to happen. Oh, I guess if you were in your senior year in high school, when you started listening to us, you went off to college and now you're working. It, it, it makes sense. It's a uh, look, I've had two kids since this show started. I know I've done nothing. <laughs> You've helped to grow my love of the game. And I always look forward to listening every week when you rip on my blues, uh, writing this before the game against Everton and after the game at Anfield. Uh, or forget that uh, Minnesota United exists. How dare they say that? Uh, he says, I know that's pointed at me. I made, well, actually his next line. Kidding, of course. Love the praise of Molina's goal against SKC last yeah, That was my year. goal of the year, right? Yeah, it was. One thing I've been curious to get your thoughts on, I'm not sure if you guys have paid attention to this year is the Women's Super League in England. With games occasionally being broadcast in the US on the NBCSN app, I found myself now watching more women's game soccer than I ever did before. Um, now that I can watch Chelsea's women team occasionally online, both on NBCSN and in the Chelsea app, I've been really enjoying it and think the quality of that league and many of the European women's league rivals that of NWSL here in the States. With more US women's national team players playing in the WSL, Lavelle, Mewis, Morgan, I think that it has the potential to attract U.S. soccer fans to watch more women's club soccer and get to know more than just the U.S. women's national team players. What are your thoughts on this league and its potential to grow? I would echo all that. Mm -hmm. I would say that I have not watched much of it. Um, I'm not going to lie. 
I haven't watched a ton of it. Um, I, I saw that Jonathan Pierce was uh, commentating on one of the games at the weekend, which is, you know, that that's a big name to have comment, uh, commentating um, on the women's game. And rightly so. I haven't watched that much, but you're, I mean, you're definitely right. The eyes of, of um, it, it, there's going to be a battle between the WSL and the NWSL over, over viewership. And I think right now with, with us players being based in England, it's, I think the, the point you made is absolutely right. Attention is going to switch there. And it's a good league as well. The few uh, clips and, and uh, bits of games that I have watched have been very good. I say, you know, last season, I watched most of the, um, the championship, the tournament that NWSL ran. I thought that was really, really good um, because of the pandemic that we're forced to do it. Right. Um, and I enjoyed that a lot. But I, I definitely haven't watched that much of the game in England. Yeah, I haven't either. I guess we always, I don't know, the thing with this, I, I want the NWSL to be the dominant domestic league. Now, ultimately, it's great for women's sports and for women's soccer in particular that it grow all over the world, not just here in the United States. So mm. you know, it, it is still a good thing, but selfishly, I want the NWSL to be the preeminent league. You know, And, and you know, big name players, Rose Lavelle, uh, Alex Morgan, you know, both newest sisters, like they've all, they've gone over there. Um, and, you know, well, I wonder if that will continue to occur and like how the distribution of talent will go between the domestic league and playing abroad. Yep. Okay. Let's see. Rene Jardin. Actually, it may be just Rene Jardin. I've gone too far with that. Actually, Jardin. I, I don't know. I'm going to give it a bit of fancy flair. Tuesday, why not? What are y'all's thoughts on Arsene Wenger's offside rule being tested by FIFA and thoughts on the rule itself? Um, so, well, uh, so according to his rule uh, for offside, a player would be judged offside only if any part of the body with which he can score a goal is past the last defender. Yeah. So first off, I would say I am all for experimenting with any change really to what the current offside situation is i kind of like what they're doing in the dutch Eredivisie right now uh where the lines by which var like adjudicates an offside is just thicker so there's a greater margin for error i think it's like the line is five centimeters um for the offside line and then like the line of where the last defender is is five centimeters so it's like a 10 centimeter margin for error so it's not nearly as molecular Uh, and there will still be close calls on that but you'll feel much, much less aggrieved by the decision. Like it, it'll just be much more obvious than what we see now with the molecular. So I would go, I mean, I like the Dutch one. It feels a little simpler to me, but you know, if they want to try Wenger's, I'm, I'm all for that too. I think, you know, anything is, is a step in the right direction than what the status quo is currently. Yeah. Michael Cox echoes my concerns with it. Uh, players would be able to stand a yard behind the defender and then would be ruled onside by dangling their foot behind them. I've never heard a fan think of this as onside. There, I, I, and I also yeah, think that's fair. And I also, I would worry about defenses now saying, "Look, we're just going to sit back further," and you'd have more compact, um, low block defenses. They wouldn't fancy this. They'd be afraid for their defenders to be caught out by it. Um, you think players will do that though? Where they'll like, is that think- natural to stand in a way where you're you're keeping one foot dangling behind you, like? Yeah. I just don't no, know. I, I, no, I think what's going to happen, Andrew, is that never mind the dangling for a second. 
players will make later runs that would usually be offside and they'll be adjudicated onside because it's worth the risk. There's a better chance of you being onside and defences will look at that and go, no, not doing it. And they'll fall right back and we'll have a game that's a little less adventurous. I would, I would worry about I that. Um, Lucas, what are Andy's and JJ's go-to drinks at the pub? I invited questions that were not soccer related. I see that. This probably is soccer related. Let's be fair. Um, I would say right now I've been enjoying in the winter and spring months, pints of Guinness. I haven't been in a pub in, in a year. Yeah, I know. But like when we do go to the pub, the All winter right. drink is Guinness. And I know where to get the best Guinness in Brooklyn. If anyone wants to DM me, I can tell you. It's it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's like back home. The place I know, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, in the winter or in the spring and then the summer, I suppose, I like uh, Coney Island Mermaid Pilsner. Hmm. That's uh, that's my Pilsner drink. I was always enjoy a good IPA. I know not everyone loves them, but I, I'm a huge fan. A little whiskey on the rocks. Always good. If it's summer, I'll any kind of like a summer ale. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not above a Corona or a land shark, JJ. Land shark. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. All right. That was the mailbag. Boom. Oh, all right. There you go. Um, let's see. Let's bring it down the stretch now, JJ. Red card. I'm going to go first, if that's okay with you. And I'm going to go with Inter Miami. Not a good sign when I logged on ESPN FC on Saturday morning and, and saw not one, but two Inter Miami headlines. The first one reading Inter Miami, Inter Milan in settlement talks over trademark dispute. And the second one reading, MLS investigates David Beckham's Inter-Miami over Matuidi transfer. Ugh, not a good weekend. Let's start with the second there about Matuidi. You may remember that some eyebrows were raised when Matuidi signed for them with TAM, JJ, targeted allocation money and not as a designated player. Um, this is from Jeff Carlisle. He said, according to MLS's roster rules for 2020, this meant that Matuidi's salary was at least 612 thousand but no more than 1.6 million a source with knowledge of the situation indicated that the league is investigating whether Matuidi was paid additional money with the knowledge of inter miami in addition to what is specified in the player's contract that is that is not legal um quote there are some concerns that Matuidi received additional dollars the source said um, so that is not great and then the other bit of business with the whole inter trademark thing in 2014 jj Inter Milan actually filed a U.S. patent on their name, but that did not stop Inter Miami from filing their own patent in 2018, and a year later, they filed an opposition to Milan's trademark claims. Uh, in the MLS filing, it stated that Inter Milan's application should be refused because the term Inter is descriptive. It also argued that allowing Milan's use of the term would result in a, quote, likelihood of confusion in the marketplace. Um, like, likelihood of confusion. That doesn't see if that is their argument. Like if another soccer podcast came along, JJ also named caught offside and Already they demanded happens. and they demanded that we change our name. Don't you think the first thing we do is kind of look and see who had established it first? Yep. Absolutely. So, so, what, are they, so what are they, what are they hoping to, to, why would this go in their favor? I think they've already been ruled down twice on that argument. So um, I wonder if this is going to end with Inter Miami just simply having to change their name, which, by the way, I don't think would be the worst thing in the world. No, I mean, I it, it, would, it would suck for them in terms of their branding and all that. And they've just gotten off the ground. I'm sure, you know, two years in, you don't want to have to do something like that and start up from scratch. 
But like, I'll be on it. All the FCs and the Uniteds and even like Real Salt Lake, I'm okay with it, even though it feels a little bit forced to me sometimes, but I'm okay with it because I feel like those are, are terms that are kind of a part of soccer vocabulary. You know, DC United, FC Dallas, even though we call it soccer, they want to be FC, whatever. But like Inter isn't really soccer vocabulary to me. It's pretty much a club. So uh, to me, I felt like that's a little bit of a bridge too far. Yeah. And I would, I'd be okay if they, if this ended with them changing their name. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Also, just the the whole back and forth on, on Blaise Motweedy, it was interesting to read the athletic soccer reporters who say, hey, look, MLS is usually kind of not loose with the rules, but you can bend the rules if it, it benefits the league to get a good player or a high-profile player into the club. Like, what must Inter have done to annoy the league to this extent that, uh-uh, uh, we're not having this, right? you know? Um, my Ricard is uh, club social media accounts. They think they're a part of the game. Atletico Madrid have taken an apparent swipe at rivals Real Madrid on social media over complaints about the referee in Sunday's derby. They even criticized correct decisions, the club tweeted on Monday afternoon, adding that some people are used to always having the wind behind them. The tweet comes after Madrid. You can just tell, JJ, that like it's just a bitter fan who's running these accounts oh, at yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. The tweet comes after Madrid's criticism of referee Alejandro Hernandez Hernandez for failing to award them a penalty for handball during the 1-1 draw, which saw Atletico maintain their lead at the top of La Liga. That's enough about that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I was struggling for a red card, and it's always easy fodder to look at those who run club social media accounts. Well, there you go. You're uh, you're very honest. Uh, Let's see. My man of the match, JJ, Der Klassiker. The first German soccer match ever televised live on ABC, and it did not disappoint. Two goals in the first nine minutes, both from one of the game's brightest rising stars in Erling Holland. With his first, he reached 100 senior-level goals for club and country in only 146 appearances. So for context, it took Cristiano Ronaldo 301 games to reach that mark. took Lionel Messi 210. Took Holland 146. Yikes. It's unbelievable. It is. It is truly unbelievable. Uh, But then the German champions showed why they are, in fact, the defending champions. Four unanswered goals, as it seemed like everyone on Twitter predicted would happen. Like, I was kind of, like, on social media while watching that game. It was 2-0 in the 10th minute. And, like, people were like, yep, 4-2 Bayern. I tweeted that. I said straight away, I said, uh, this is is the worrying time where Dortmund fans fear it's going to end up 4-2. Yeah. Uh, Four unanswered, a hat trick from Robert Lewandowski. Uh, Lewandowski now has 22 goals and 23 meetings against Borussia Dortmund since joining Bayern Munich. He extended his lead as the all-time scorer in Der Klassiker history uh, with 27 goals and 37 appearances. Because remember, he was on Borussia Dortmund before Bayern Munich. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bayern's number nine also extended his wide margin as the top scorer among Europe's top five players in all competitions this season. 37 goals in 33 games. He's only nine goals away from the Bundesliga record for most goals in a single season. That was set by Bayern legend Gert Müller uh, with 40 back in 71-72. So the win put Bayern back atop the table after RB Leipzig had won. Also meant that Bayern now has won five consecutive meetings against Dortmund in all competitions for the first time in 50 years, which was uh, just knowing how dominant Bayern had been for over a decade. That felt a little bit surprising to me. But really fun game for the neutrals and really cool that it happened to be on national TV. You got to see the best of Holland. You got to see the best of Lewandowski. You saw goals. It was it was fun, man. That was uh, that was an, an enjoyable surprise turning on ABC over the weekend. It was lovely to watch. Uh, I spent uh, Saturday morning just watching uh, Bundesliga and it was a nice 
palate cleanser, Andrew. I had grown large and weary from just devouring Barclays every week. So it was good to have some uh, German schnitzel. I feel like that could be the name that, that could be the name of our podcast. Devouring Barclays. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, my man of the match will get me in trouble with lots of people, but um, those people, some of them, I hope, family and friends aren't listening. Glasgow Rangers and Steven Gerrard. Uh, Rangers have won the Scottish Premiership for the first time in 10 years uh, following Celtic's failure, failure being the general theme of Celtic season, to beat Dundee United on Sunday. The success is a first as a manager for former Liverpool and England captain Steven Gerrard, who took charge at Ibrox in 2018. The title means that Rangers have now extended their world record tally to 55, one more than Northern Ireland's Linfield. Celtic are unable to become the first club in Scotland to win the league for a 10th time in a row. Rangers remain unbeaten in the league with six matches remaining this season and picked up a 3-0 victory against St. Mirren on Saturday to maintain their 100% home record and set up Sunday's clinch. And Celtic and Rangers will meet on March 21st. And uh, I think that game, is that game at Ibrox or is it at Celtic Park? I'm not sure, but Rangers will be champions. Unbelievable journey for the club over the past decade from when they went into administration, dropped to the third tier or the fourth tier of um, Scottish football. I can't remember which one it was. Um, It's amazing what's happened and their fans have been out celebrating. Uh, There was some incredible... Yeah, they really were. Yeah, uh, Nicholas Sturgeon, the the first minister in Scotland uh, <laughs> congratulated Rangers on the title win and recognized what a moment it is for fans, but tweeted gathering, gathering in crowds now just risks lives and could delay exit from lockdown for everyone else. If those gathering care at all about the safety of others and the country, they will go home. And then she had to tweet Rangers again to say, please ask the fans to go home. Um, incredible scenes. And, uh, and Steven Gerrard, I didn't think taking on as big a club as Rangers was going to end well for him, but I'm not saying it's ending now. Um, but this is uh, this is Gerard thinking to the future on Saturday. So this was prior to clinching, um, but they were pretty much 100%, 99.9% over the line. And this is uh, Gerard's comments to Rangers TV. And as you say, you hope this can be the starters and there's still plenty more to play for, even just this season. Yeah, of course, in the short, medium and long term. For me, the, the, the priority is to really let this sink in, um, get it officially done, uh, realise the monumental achievement that it is. Um, but that's got to that's gotta make you more hungry for more. Uh, for me, I'm already thinking about what's next. Um, I want more. The, 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 that's the bug. That's that's my drive every single day when I uh, come to work. I, um, since I was a young lad, I just want success. I want to win. I want to win football matches. I want to have moments like that in the dressing room. That's what it's all about. Andrew, he's already thinking to the future. Where do you think that future lies? I mean, I'm I have planted my flag firmly in that that future lies at Anfield. But it's not. Do you think he does another season at Rangers? Does he do? Does he go to another club? Would he go to like France or Germany? Maybe not France. Um, does he go to Germany and take a job? Like, is there a step in between? Let me ask you a question. Mm. If 
So if Klopp leaves, let's say, let's just pretend he does. I know what Klopp said. He's got a contract. He's going to try to fulfill it. Um, let's just like suspend reality and pretend that he leaves. Who would you, JJ Devaney, want Liverpool's next manager to be? That that Nag- realistically could be the next manager. Nagelsmann. Okay. Someone of that ilk. We see. Right. That's fair. That's a totally legitimate answer. You probably you might be in the majority. I hate I hate to. Like I think it's a great achievement what Steven Gerrard has done, but it is a Scottish achievement. You 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 have to look at that, and you have to look at the way Celtic, like Celtic. You're talking about implosions, like Liverpool's implosion right now is bad, but Celtic's is being unbelievable considering the status, how far ahead they were, Rangers for the last two years, mm-hmm. um, and I just think. I, I think I think Jared has gone about things the right way, the way he set things up, the staff he's taken on, but it's 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 a huge step. It's a massive step. And I and I don't think um I, I don't think it should be something that in the event that Klopp left that should be offered to him without him going somewhere else in a more competitive scenario. I wonder if there's another Premier League club that he would go to before Liverpool. A little, you know, more of a mid table side. It'd have to be someone that would be utterly inoffensive. So we're talking about you're talking about your Brightons are a Norwich, okay? Inoffensive Nor- to what? To Liverpool? Assuming Norwich come up, uh, in if oh yeah, he's okay. he's so wedded to that club that yeah, it would it would have to be a club of that stature that would have you know, I I, I don't see it. Um, I I I'm so curious. As to what he does now, I really am. His stock has never been higher, though, as a manager yeah. in the last three years, because, you know, there were times when we reported on what he was doing at Rangers. And we thought, I remember one report we did was it last season or the season before where we said, this isn't going well. He's attacking the players. He kind of did a, a Frank Lampard on it where he said, well, you have to ask the players about that. Um, but now it's, it's turned around and he's a god in Glasgow. He is now assumed godlike status because he stopped the ten in a row. Yeah. Um. So this is uh this is very very interesting times for Steven Gerrard. Um. Boy, you look so pained over this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm happy. I tweeted that I was happy for him. You know, despite the fact that some of my Celtic supporting friends from back home contacted me to say that I would be removed from certain WhatsApp groups and um, some friendships would be terminated because of this. Oh, really? So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's not sectarian at all. That's, that's mature. <laughs> well, there uh, you go. That's, that's, that's very big of you then to have done this. I didn't realize the ramifications of you doing this uh, in the no. match could, could ruin everything. You may no, not be welcome no, no. back home. No, it's not, it's not, it's not that deep with, with the, with the people I know, but I know other people for whom it is extremely deep and me even making Glasgow Rangers and Steven Gerrard man of the match would not be accepted or tolerated. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe those were people that it was time to prune the tree anyway. And you know, I love a good prune. Well, there you go, my friend. Uh, that is your show for this week. There's some champions league action, of course, coming up over the next couple of days, second legs. So uh, some, some, Ties will be decided. Neymar not going to play in the second leg for um, PSG against Barcelona. I'm sure that kills him. He would love to play against Barcelona. But with that 4-1 lead, it's it's probably in their best interest to 
hope that they can hang on and keep him healthy for later rounds. Imagine Barca get an early goal. Oh boy. Oh boy. It could get interesting. It really I'm, could. I'm nervous enough about our home game in Budapest tomorrow. Yeah. So enjoy that one. Also join us on uh, Friday for the Friday Instagram live chats, which people have just been enjoying. And hopefully someday I'm going to start inviting guests on. I'm going to, I'm going to invite you on at some point. I mean, if you'd like to, you know, again, you have helped support you strategically place this at a time when you literally know, I, I have no, I can't, even if I des- I'd have to take off work. No, we'll do a weekend one. We'll do a weekend oh, one. I'll I'd move. be down. Of All course. Right, no. Okay. You'd I mean, have, you have to, to get give in. me the password to what our Instagram account is. No, we do a split screen. You're going to start your own Instagram account just for this. And, oh. and, and, and you join the conversation. Oh, oh my God. What a boomer you You're, are. You- I mean, we're talking about pruning. I'm trying to prune social media, not yeah. add. Yeah, that's true. At any rate, hey, enjoy Champions League games. We'll be back, of course, next week. Or should something bonkers happen over the next 48 hours, maybe there's a chance you'll hear from us again uh, before the week is out. But hey, to you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 